talking about is part two of what we started last week. Uh, last week we talked about the church that Jesus wants. What does Jesus want out of a church? And this week we're going to be in part two. Next week, what are we going to be in part three? You guys are so smart. I'm really impressed. Um, we're going to be in part three where we look at how this boils down into family relationships, work relationships, uh, parenting relationships, kids. You get a shout out in this next text. Might not like it, but Jesus says it. Um, and so we're going to be into what he says about obeying your parents, uh, parents, how we're parents if we have kids. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff is next week, and this week hits a, a critical part in the middle where we're going to look at what it looks like to be the kind of church Jesus wants. Uh, remember, the church in Ephesus had gathered together, and they wanted to uh, not only hear a Sunday sermon, because that wasn't very exciting, but what they wanted to do was they wanted to be formed by God as the people of God in the place that God had sent them, which was Ephesus. For us, it might be Phoenix, it might be Gilbert, it might be Mesa, it might be Tempe, uh, but the place that we find ourselves, we also live as those who are in Christ, and figuring out what that looks like takes a little bit of work. Um, and so last time, uh, I just wanted to start off here. Um, a lot of times when it comes to following Jesus, uh, we might have an impression of what we look like. I chose the Houston Astros for two reasons. Uh, number one is, what's the obvious one? They're cheaters. Somebody's salty. Um, it's good to see you, Nate. Um, he's from Tempe. It's okay. He's an MC leader over there. Uh, salty. They're the World Series. I love how they say they're the world champions, even though it's like two countries that are covered by it. But we're, they're the world champions. Uh, they're the world champions. Um, but then also my kids are born in Houston, and so Caden loves to see any Houston team that he can up on the screen. So dad points and contextualize. It's beautiful. Um, but a lot of times when it comes to living as the church, there can be the impression in our mind that whatever we're doing we think is pretty, pretty stellar. Um, when in fact, the reality of how we might be living, I don't know if you guys have seen this clip, it's pretty awesome. It's going to play through twice uh, with no sound, but I'm really hoping it does the thing where it plays. Yeah, there we go. So I need you to watch it. This is also baseball. As you notice, they're wearing uniforms. There he goes. This isn't one of those videos that's set up to do something. Uh, I believe this is actually a t-ball game. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're looking at the part in the middle. That's the non-blurry part. And so they'll play it back in case you missed any of that good action. He hits the ball, also wearing a uniform, runs towards third base, goes around. Lovely little huddle. They're going to throw him out at first, straight in the dome. Uh, and then he cruises around. And then he makes it home and tackles his brother, I think. So uh, here's the deal. Uh, sometimes we can think we have it all together. We're in the game. We're wearing the uniform. We're looking great. We feel like we have swagger, and we're killing it at whatever our metrics are because we're on the field. Uh, when in reality, uh, what the church often looks like across the global scheme and scale, but then also even locally sometimes and in our lives, is a little bit more like that t-ball game where we, we believe that we might be playing baseball, uh, but quite uncertain what our position is, how to go about it, and really what we should be doing at any given moment. Uh, which leads us to look a bit goofy, just like those kids crashing baseballs off their domes, uh, running the wrong direction, and swirling around some sort of organized chaos. Uh, but we say it's spiritual and it's church, so it should be good for us. The, the idea, though, is that Jesus has a much different view of what he wants from his church. He actually has a purpose for the people of God. And it's not just to keep them out of trouble on the streets, but it's that they grow up and live as followers of his, his new creation people, living out their calling in the places that he sent them to. It's a beautiful, compelling, harmonized picture of what the people of God should be. But sometimes we just miss it. 
And so we went through some of the marks of what it looks like to be a faithful church last week, and we'll get there. Uh, but what we didn't hit, I will get there in a second. Here's the first things I want us to see. That when we get into tonight's text, I don't want us to miss this. What we're going to talk about tonight is how we respond to grace. It's not that we're doing something to earn it. Uh, Paul has said clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that no one can boast. Uh, what he's going to talk about is a lot of what we ought to do. But we have to remember this is built on four chapters of content where he shared with us just a waterfall of grace and a waterfall of good news and just has us completely saturated, as it were, with all this news of what God's up to in the world, all this redemption and forgiveness and grace he's poured out on us. All of that's fresh in their minds. They didn't break this up by week by week. They're just sitting in the midst of it and haven't heard it all. And so this isn't something we do to earn grace. This is how we get into church. It's how we live as the church. Uh, the second thing is the way that Paul's going to give us to live is how God created for humans to flourish. Remember in Ephesians 2.10, he said, you are God's handiwork created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he prepared for you ahead of time. And those good words weren't just randomly opening the doors for elderly people, but it was a way of life that led to flourishing for people together. And so he's going to create an image of what it looks like for people to live in such a way that they reflect the glory of God in their relationships. And so it's going to be gritty. It's going to be down to earth. It's going to be uh, very, very uh, everyday sort of relationships. You're going to find yourself named in what he's about to say. And what we need to remember is this is a picture of human flourishing. And then lastly, our changed lives are part of bearing witness to the reality of the gospel events. In chapter three, he had said that he wants to show off the manifold wisdom of God by how the people in Ephesus displayed their lives. The way they lived as a church was meant to show off to the principalities, the powers, and even the darkness, the incredible victory that God had won in Christ in his death and resurrection. And so these changed lives aren't just behave better so that the church has a better image. This is showing off the power of God to transform our lives and by proxy our neighborhoods and our families and our cities and the little corners of the world that we call home. Our lives knit together show off the beauty of Christ and all that he can do. And so, so far in part one we saw um, that a church is a good church, a church is a healthy church. The church that Jesus wants um, is a church that is unified, a faithfully serving church. Remember we said it's not a gifted church. Jesus has already given the gifts, but what Jesus wants is a faithfully serving church. It's a disciple-making church uh, that, that people are being growing up into maturity of Christ, looking like Jesus, and then it's a maturing church. A church that doesn't look like those t-ball players running around, cracking each other with bats and baseballs, running the wrong direction, but a church that increasingly knows how to take up their role in God's story. A growing up in interpersonal maturity and theological maturity and missional maturity. All of that's last week. Uh, what you're going to notice is missing in that list uh, is it doesn't say that a healthy church, the church Jesus wants, is led by people that have it all together. You're not gonna see that. Uh, it's not led by people with a certain number of Instagram followers, right? The church that Jesus wants doesn't have to have a blue check mark by it because so many people think it's compelling. 
Uh, The church that Jesus wants doesn't have to be the most popular church in any given city. The church that Jesus wants doesn't have to have a lot of things. But what he's going to write in Ephesus are he wants to see at least these things. And so when we hit the text tonight, it's a big, long lead-in because it's a lot of text. But here's what I I want us to do at the jump, is don't overcomplicate this one. Don't overcomplicate this. You guys tend to read things with a lot more authority when they're in quotation marks. You'll notice the quote simply says, by me. Uh, That was just the point that I wanted to make. Don't make this harder than it is. Uh, As your friends are about to read the text of Scripture over you, uh, do it with a pen in your hand if you write in your Bible. If you don't write in your Bible and you got a phone with you, highlight a few words as it comes. But hear these as the Spirit's address to not just the church in Ephesus, but the church in Mesa. Uh, hear it as if uh, we're sitting around the living room in that first century and listening in on the reading of this text. Um, it wasn't that confusing. A lot of times we want to make some of these things a lot harder than they are. I don't know why, it's just in our DNA. Uh, Maybe it's partially because we're American. Maybe it's partially because we don't like what it says. Maybe it's partially because we want to figure things out and want to focus on the one part we don't get when there's 400 parts we already do. But what I want to invite you to is over the next few minutes, listen with a posture of an open heart, open hands if need be. Uh, Make a few notes as you go through. Pay attention to what the Spirit might be showing you as each one reads uh, because you're going to turn to each other and share some of those things when we're done. So, uh, but what I want you to do is think in, listen in. Nick's going to read the first little set for us. You can come on up, Nick. Uh, He's going to read the first set for us. The words aren't going to be on the screen, so you're looking down, reading as you go. But I'm going to pray. Nick's going to read, and we're all going to listen to what the Spirit has to say. Jesus, uh, we gather tonight here uh, as your children, wanting to hear from your Spirit. And so as you spoke through Paul to Ephesus, we pray that you would speak uh, through our friends to us. Would our hearts be open with the simplicity of some of this message and the behaviors that you want us to step into and not be lost? And would we come away from here feeling convicted and encouraged as we need to? We ask this in your name, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to judge, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of, a, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for of the fruit of the light, sorry, verse 9, for of the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the word of God. I want to invite you uh, to, in the next few minutes, turn to a few people around you, uh, maybe somebody you came with, maybe somebody that's new uh, that you didn't know before, and you could turn towards them. Um, But just take a little bit of time. Was there something in what we just read? It was a large swath of scripture. Uh, Was there something that uh, resonated that you felt like the Spirit was drawing your attention to? Remember, we say often that the reason that we gather here together isn't just to hear teaching, but to hear from God. Uh, One of the necessary skills of any disciple of Jesus is to be able to hear the word of God and know how to obey what it says. 
And so we do a lot of teaching around that to give insight and wisdom and hear each other's thoughts. Uh, but there's sometimes when in the Word of God we just come across the text, whether it was 5, 1 through 14, or in 15 through 20, a different section, um, that the Spirit highlighted something for you. And you just say, hey, I don't have to have the full explanation maybe of why. You can go home this week and you're going to be able to study it some more. I'll give you some thoughts as well. But I would love for you to turn to each other and just say, here's something that, that drew my attention as we read that. Uh, whether it was for the first time or the 4,000th time, uh, the Spirit reminds and brings things to mind. So just turn to a few people around you and take a few minutes. Was there something the Spirit brought to mind? A start, a stop, a reminder of the gospel. Uh, and then I'll pull us back together in just a few Spend time in that text this week. Uh, sit with the Spirit. Ask what He wants to remind you of. As I was reading through it, there were a few other, few other markers. I'm not going to hit every verse by verse like we do have gone through other texts, but hit a little bit of the, the arcing theme of it. Um, that first little bit in there, just so you know, uh, when he talks about four and he hits in 17 and goes down that first little paragraph of what you probably have in your Bible, what he's, his argument is, is that you shouldn't live like people who don't uh, know Jesus, that don't have his power, that aren't in his story, that aren't in his family, that haven't come under his new purpose. And so all the things we've talked about in the previous weeks, he says, there's people that believe that. They're the church. They're the called out people of God. Church isn't a place. It's not a building. It's not a service. It's this community. And then there's those, and he just uses the word Gentiles. They don't know that. They don't believe that. Their thoughts, their minds, and their hearts are both dark. And so he's got this dark and light motif going through the entire text. And he's going to give a way of darkness and a way of light. And what he wants from the church is for it to be a canvas of people who have transformed lives. Uh, he wants the church to be a transformed church. One who is counterformed from the normal way that they would have gone had they never met Jesus. Never been filled with his spirit and never had a community to follow him with. He wants them to experience at a heart level individually and then communally, because these are all communal terms, which is beautiful. None of these are singular. They're all communal. This is what I want for you, which is a marker of the church. So this community, I want these things to be true of you. And he wants it to be transformed or counterformed in opposition to the way that it would have gone had they not known Jesus. And he uses a, a very simple uh, idea for it. He says, take off and put on. I want you to take off like a garment, like anybody can get this. If you used to be wearing a different shirt uh, when you, before you knew Jesus, it might have been your favorite shirt, it might have fit you well, it might be something you're really comfortable with. I get that. What I want you is to take off that old one and put on the new. It's not a complex metaphor. Again, just you're supposed to take this off, this old way of life, this old way of being, this old story that you got your purpose from, this old power that you used to draw from. And live entirely new now. And so he, he gives it, and I'll just give some of them. He says, "Take oh, stop lying to each other. This isn't complex. If you want to raise your hand and say what's lying, we can have that conversation later. Um, whatever you're thinking of, is this lying? The answer is probably yes. We all ask that question about things that we know are shade in the truth, right? Uh, but instead, put on truth. Uh, take off anger, which leads to sin, and put on peace. Take off theft. If you're stealing, whoever used to steal, don't steal anymore. But instead, work with your hands and produce something helpful. Like, that doesn't get more practical than that. Uh, people want to raise their hands. Does my Netflix uh, account that's signed on to my parents, it's not me? Does that count as it? Like, you got a week to pray over that. I'm just saying. Take off theft. Put on generosity. 
Take off gossip and put on encouragement. Take off revenge and put on forgiveness, right? Be kind and tenderhearted just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. This posture of being towards other people where we release them from debts, not hold them and make them pay for it. And we've talked at length, that's different than our cancel culture, which we currently live in, which is what, you messed up, you're out. You messed up, you did something wrong, you stepped out of line. We should expect that from each other. But the way of Jesus is a way of forgiveness and restoration, not a way of pushing to the margins when somebody gets it wrong. If we can never mess up, we aren't long for the Christian community. Because in our real lives, we mess up all the time. And so what you end up with in a community that is not forgiving is a community that fakes. And that's not the kind of people we want to be. Jesus gives us a freedom to be ourselves, but watch that transform into someone else by his power. He says, take off the promiscuity or sexual sin. Jesus has a whole lot to say about our sexual ethics. That's not just for us in 2022. That was all the way back when he was writing this. This was always something that people have struggled with. It's so core to our identity. The experience is one that people have always looked to have outside of the way that God arranged it. Because it's enjoyable in the moment and it's exciting in the moment. But Jesus and God and Paul here is saying, you need to put that outside of your life. It's not helpful for you. It will hurt you. Remember, the way of life that he's giving is a way that leads to flourishing, which means that this way of living in this pattern of sin is radical self-harm for you, even if it doesn't feel like it in the exact moment. Uh, yesterday, some of you have already heard this story. If I had the picture up there, I'd show it. Uh, one of our kids who might... I didn't think he was going to be in here. Uh, one of our kids, uh, we were packing up at our campsite. We weren't camping overnight. We don't do that all the time. We just camp until they can't fire the hot dogs, the s'mores, and then leave. It's a great play. Um, and then you go home and go to your own bed uh, and then wake up the next day and everybody's fully rested. So we were doing that uh, and it was time to pack up. We were packing up all our stuff and uh, told one of the children, hey, don't run into the dark. We're in the desert. There's cactus everywhere, cacti everywhere. And there's plenty of things that you can hit uh, from saguaro to little barrels to Choya to all the fun things, uh, not to mention whatever else is out there. He didn't have a headlamp, told him not to run off. And as the words left my mouth, don't run into the darkness, uh, what he did was ran into the darkness. Uh, made it three steps of absolutely liberating freedom, right? You had three good steps, didn't you? And then he, the fourth step, all you hear is, ah! And then some tears. He had planted a cactus firmly in his shin, I think it was, uh, one of the fun ones that goes a million different directions, and because he was in full stride, it was like he had tried kicking it. And Kevin had taken the med kit out of the car to put it somewhere else, so we didn't have that. So we had nail clippers, from which we clipped all the little things around and then tried peeling it off. It was tears. He was brave. It happened. Um, here's the point of the story. God has a way for us to live, and he's looking at us saying, hey, don't run into the darkness. Hey, there's a way to live, a path to live. Don't do it. It's not going to lead to life. It's not going to be to flourishing. I know what's on the other side of that. I know where you're headed. Even if you don't see it in this moment, will you trust me? This full list of things capped off with this way of sexual ethics. He says, trust me. And just like uh, little man took off running, got three good steps. Sometimes we go a little way in this way of life that leads to death, and we have an enjoyable first three steps. 
Like, it doesn't mean just because you got two good steps into it that you're good to go. All of life is free. I don't know anybody who's twisted God's original design that five years later say, yeah, that was really the best way, and I don't have any residual marks from that in my life. But as the experiences, we slam into that wall of the reason God said, don't live this way. Just like it took us a whole lot of work to pull the cactus out of the leg, pulling out these painful experiences, can they heal? Absolutely. There is grace, there is mercy, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, and God will come along and help us. The community comes along and helps us. But how much better to have never put our leg through a cactus? Again, we might get two, three good steps out of it. But the end of every pattern of life that God has said, hey, don't go that way, go this way, will be for our flourishing. A second thing, just to look at a loving church. Uh, five, one through two. Uh, five, one, two through two said this, as Coral read it, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I love that. Your father's God, as kids who mimic their dad, walk in the way of love just as God did. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Of the church that God wants here in Mesa and spread throughout the world is a church marked by love. And what's the definition of love? It's the way Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as this fragrant offering, a sacrifice poured out for the sake of others. He says, that's the way I want the church to live. Is it inconvenient at times? Yes. Does it hurt at times? Yes. Does it require us to put ourselves in positions where we're not the hero? Absolutely. But in modeling that selfless, gentle love, we make much of our Father who's in heaven, much like uh, the words of Jesus where he's told people to do their works in such a way that it glorifies their Father who's in heaven. It makes much of Jesus. We want to look like our Father. And he says, do that as dearly loved children, not those earning a spot in the family, not those who always get it right, but in mimicking that, follow faithfully in the footsteps of Jesus who pointed ultimately to his dad. You say, I don't know what that looks like. There's four books of the Bible that give you four different snapshots, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to lean into and learn what does it look like for us to do those sort of things. And then a spirit-filled church. So that last section uh, that Kaylee Ann read for us. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's interesting, two of you uh, actually highlighted texts out of that one. And so even as a community, it's something to lean into and pay attention um, that this was something that was resonating uh, through three of you actually pulled something out of that little section. So maybe it's social psychology is the last one done. Uh, maybe it's the spirit stirring something up for us that says, hey, Pay attention to this passage, Missio. Because the days are evil, therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How many times have people stuttered and tried figuring out what's God's will for my life? Uh, he makes it pretty simple. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which will ruin your life is how the NLT says it. If you read the NLT, uh, it says, don't get drunk on wine, which will ruin your life. Um, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Cool, what does that look like? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These signs of the Spirit he gives for the community are singing together, singing alone, thankfulness, elevating others. Uh, this pattern of life 
that is submitted to the spirit of the living God, shaping us into the people he wants us to be. We can unpack that a little bit more, but we're keeping it simple tonight for that sake. And so what do I do with this? Uh, he gave a long list, and I'm guessing the, the thing that maybe pricked your heart or your conscience is not the thing you shared in your smaller group, and that's okay. Uh, there's, he gave a long list of things that you might have looked in the mirror, and when it was read by Nick or Coral or Kay, you said, man, like, like I see that for myself, and he's given a different path of life. What do I do with this? Three things that help us become this kind of church, and none of them are complex. Repent where we already know we have to. Repent and replace with Jesus in the places we already know we have to. If the Spirit convicted of something as simply as when he read it, then what we do is we turn from that and we turn back to Jesus. Like we turn from that pattern of life, stop doing those things, and enter into a way of life. Uh, number two is we all have work to do. None of us have arrived, so we all have work to do. For some of us, that is some deep inner work that is the heart posture that's leading us to the behaviors. But as your pastor and as your friend, I want to say something. Don't let the inner heart work or your soul work be an excuse for stopping sin when you already know you should. In the last few years, I have watched so many people say, I know Jesus wants me not to do this. And so I'm going to go talk to my therapist about it and just keep working on it. You know, I'll, I'll work with them on it out of community, out of the lens of the gospel, completely with them. And maybe I'll come back a few years later and then I'll be able to stop. Uh, Missio, you know that Kevin does not have a problem with therapists, right? I don't have a problem but I do have a problem we use them as a reason to keep on sinning. Jesus full well understood trauma. Jesus full well understood our stories. Jesus full well understood that there are deep-rooted issues that cause us to live in patterns of sin. He understood addictions. He understood compulsions. And so somehow that all fits into this, but he also invites a way of life. And so when it calls for deeper, we do that work, but we also repent. We don't put pause on obedience until we've worked a whole process, but the two of them have to be able to work together. And so the invitation is uh, start that process, do that work. We all have work to do. For some of us, it might be therapy plus Jesus. But would we be obedient to the words of Scripture, not just wandering on our way, avoiding what we already know we ought to do? Uh, and then the third thing, and if you want to talk more about that because that wasn't clear enough or you feel like I was offending you, I'm more than happy to talk to you about that. We won't pass the mic around for that one, though. Um, and then the third thing, I just want us to remember that with all these things, all these calls, all these invitations, all these stop and starts that were just in a row, remember there's grace for the journey. There's absolutely grace for the journey. The things that we learned in the first three chapters still turn true as we come to this corner in chapter four and five. Uh, the reality that God is compassionate and forgiving and merciful, that he brings to life our dead hearts, that he allows us to enter into new patterns of life, that he gives his spirit to seal us and empower us and make us aware of the love he has for us is all true that he's given us a community to work this out among who don't have it all together but are willing to press in in truth and grace alongside of us, using their giftedness alongside of us so that we can grow and mature. 
Uh, that's the arena that he's given us. And then we come to the table each and every week as a reminder that there is grace for the journey. Uh, the bread which is broken is a reminder that his body was broken for us. We couldn't get it right and we couldn't try hard enough to make ourselves right with God. We couldn't fix what was fractured in creation or in our own hearts. We couldn't do it. But Jesus could and he did and we remember that with his broken body. And we remember that with the cup, which represents his blood, which made a new covenant that he wouldn't write on tablets of stone anymore, but he'd write on our hearts. And he would always be with us and we would always be his people. And so every week when we come to the table, this isn't just a religious rite that we go through, but it's a reminder and it's a nourishment of grace for the journey ahead. And so Jay and I are going to be up here with the elements tonight. I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to sing one last song. I invite you to come and take the communion and hold it in your hand, and we'll receive it all together after we sing this next song.